history's true crime by historians and PhDs for mature audiences. You're listening to Grim. We are Joe Woji and Brittany Smith with Ted Sisko, two American historians and a world history professor, joined each week by a dozen recurring professionals who comprise our show and occasional guests. <laughs> The friends you've always looked for. Motherfucker, we're right here. Welcome home to where you've always belonged. You're listening to the soothing sounds of Grim. With dark history, and true crime fuckeries, it is our pleasure to give to you a dozen regulars and repeat guests with masters and PhDs in mostly history and psychology, none of whom gets paid a penny, an incredible amount of thought and resources, and your kind donation of just literally pennies a day can save an elephant in Africa, starving little motherfuckers in Bangladesh, or you can put it to good use in support of educational fuckeries. Your kind, kind support of this here helps immensely. All bullshit aside does help like you can't imagine. Patreon.com backslash Grim Philly for your kind, kind support and to be a friend. Patreon.com backslash Grim Philly. We are and remain your humble servants for Grim, the global podcast and local Philadelphia tours that we do here. I am your professor, motherfucker, Joe Woji. Keep it beautiful and keep it grim. Lovers, my educational macabre, grim, beautiful motherfuckers, welcome back to your educational fuckery with Joe Oji, Brittany Smith, Ted Cisco, Neil Ronk, Tony Levitt, and today's guest, Ted Most from Elfris Alley Museum, director of that down on, obviously, Elfris Alley, the oldest continually occupied street in British North America. <laughs> Yo, ho, ho. <laughs> well, why is the rim? That's a good segue. Answer into the traffic today. Yeah, I think we all want to. of Philadelphia. So. Arr. 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 When is National Pirate Day? Oh, that ha- there is that. That's a thing. Yeah. I don't know. When I know. The night. I'm ridiculous. Just random. Do you got a Ted? Are you? Are you Arr. Arr. <laughs> That would be a better day for it to be. Or a better month. Monday, September 19th, 2022. Talk like a pirate day. September 19th. And it's a Monday. You weren't too far off. Armadies. What? That's talk like a pirate day. No, isn't that the day they... No, 17th. September 17th is Constitution. What? (laughs) Did you watch the Super Bowl? There's two commercials involving the Declaration of Independence. Yes, I saw. Uh, Yeah. It would be fitting. Pirates were. Are one in the course of human events are. (laughs) (laughs) You're fairly democratic. It makes sense. (laughs) Shiver me timbers. The Pirates of Philadelphia. Heard of the Pirates of the Caribbean. This is the Pirates of Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) Celebrity historian Brittany Smith with a reading of the Pirates of Philadelphia. 
This comes from a report, a commissioner to his superior from Philadelphia in 1697. They're describing and talking about pirates here in Philadelphia. Partly it reads, at the close of the 17th century, the port of Philadelphia was a veritable haven for the pirates that preyed upon the Spanish and French shipping in time of war under letters of mark and in time of peace on any ship they dared board. It was the practice of wealthy Philadelphians to outfit ships with arms, rum, and supplies and send them to the pirates of Madagascar who could offer in exchange the cargoes taken from India merchantmen. So great was the complaint of colonial shippers that the Admiralty sent Captain Thomas Robinson from England with a commission to put an end to piracy in Philadelphia. Commissioner describing to his superior, the Earl of Romney, describes his particular visit to Philadelphia on June 6, 1697, and he complains of his lack of success in that there were warrants out for apprehending Charles Goss, Edmund du Castel, George Thompson, Adam Berth, and James Miller, and pirates notwithstanding, which they were publicly and daily seen up and down the streets of Philadelphia without any notice taken of them. And so these, this comes from the Maryland archives. Basically, there were a bunch of pirates visiting Philadelphia in the late 17th century, early 18th century. But Philly, for the most part, was pretty cool about it. We were really not actively hunting down the pirates. William Penn was criticized for his complacency with this because as a Quaker, he was more like hands off with the approach, don't interfere, low on jurisprudence and wouldn't hunt the pirates down. Actually, we talked in the last episode about Windmill Island being right off the coast and the pirates had actually made that their base right next to Philadelphia. And it wasn't until a little bit later when they actually tried to stamp that out that the colonial authorities, William Penn, went there, executed the pilots, hanged them on that island, and the new pirates just made their way down to Petty Island, which is about a mile down the Delaware, just past the Ben Franklin Bridge. But there was people that would have gone back and forth between piracy and privateering, and they would hide behind these privateering certificates. What you had is basically a letter of mark and reprisal, which would be issued by a government. Like, for example, Jefferson Davis, during the Civil War, issued them against the United States. The United States, and they were signed by John Hancock, issued them against the British. The British signed them, for example. They're basically, I mean, letters of mark are basically, you're a pirate. Yeah, you have a you're allowed to do. You have a license saying, I'm yes, allowed right. to I'm be allowed a I'm allowed to do this, yeah. <laughs> yes. Usually it's done for enemy ships. Like England would do it for French ships yes. or Spanish ships. And it was, you're get out of <laughs> jail license. free. I'm doing this okay. Only to attack certain shipping. The shipping yeah, of the, poor the man's, enemy. It's the poor man's navy. Yeah. And so exactly. when you look at it from the American Revolution, in all honesty, as much as we extol the Continental Navy, uh, was, largely a non factor. No. It's the continental letters of mark issued to privateers that actually do harm mm-hmm. to British commerce. Legalized piracy is quite effective. Yeah. The problem with the letters of mark, though, is if you're out in the open seas and you had that mark allowing you to do that, say it's England versus France, you're sailing for England, you have that letter saying you're good to do what you're doing. If they sign a peace treaty and you continue to do what you're doing, you're in trouble. You don't always get the update, hey, we signed a treaty, we're good, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't know that. And if you get caught, that's technically piracy and you'll be charged for that one. As in Captain Kidd. Captain Kidd, yeah. Is the best known example. Exactly. But he attacked shipping that was English shipping, though, too. But yeah, Captain Kidd is a great example. He had a letter of mark from the governor of New York and he's out in the Indian Ocean and his guys looked like they were going to overthrow the boat because they were like, oh man, we want to just attack whoever we want to attack and you're telling us we can't attack the British shipping and he knocked one guy upside the head with a bucket and killed him and then he thought that the crew was going to have like go mutiny, complete mutiny on him after that and he let them attack British shipping. (laughs) 
that was like the worst thing you could have fucking yeah. done because that gets him hanged. Yep. You know, but he was one of the guys that was in cahoots here in Philadelphia yeah. with Adam Berth and George Thompson, who I know about, I knew about originally from you, Neil, told yeah. me, and could, because they're two of the founders of Christ Church, yep. which is super interesting. And if you look at the connection here, like, Philadelphia is small. I mean, we wound up being the biggest of all cities in British North America. I mean, even outside of, I mean, only London really eclipses us far, far in size, but you got to figure there's not a lot of middling type cities. And by the revolution, we might've had 40,000 people here. But when William Penn arrives, I mean, he only is successful in getting about a thousand people here. And there were maybe a thousand people already here. I mean, it was, a, it was, had a village character. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a city proper. So if you look at other settlements along the Eastern seaboard, if you go to Lewis, Delaware, it's so small. And there's reports of Philadelphia pirates who might've been like Burr, Thompson, or hiding behind letters of Mark, going down to Lewis, Delaware, ransacking the entire fucking city and going into every single house and searching every house for every single thing, like any article of clothing, blanket, a pillow, like anything of value whatsoever, ransacking the whole place. And the people there were like, oh my God, please protect us. They asked William Penn, please protect us. And he's the one, he winds up putting warrants out for these guys. And then he was so, I think, light on crime. He just is like, you can't live near the water, guys. Well, the other thing <laughs> he didn't too hang is them that, or anything. <laughs> well, the other thing too is that a lot of these articles seem to suggest the idea that one of the reasons early Philadelphia was also pretty lax on the whole hunting down the pirate thing is because a lot of these pirates, so yeah. we did have the biggest port in this area. So obviously we had a lot of trading going on. And so a lot of these pirates came and spent their money yeah. in early Philadelphia, which was a critical part of the early Philadelphian economy. And yeah. so everybody was kind of like, yeah, maybe like kind of chill about yeah. it a little bit, but also spend your money here. Yeah. because that's and integral to our economy. And so it was kind of like this mixed bag of where it's like, yeah, we're going to say we're going to be real hard on you, but keep coming here to spend And money. sell your stuff exactly. at yeah. the marketplace too. We Which had is what auctions the article twice that, a week. That report from the commissioner that I had read, that's what it's talking about. It's like, yeah, so there are pirates walking down the street and nobody's going out. Selling <laughs> stuff for cheap and it costs a lot of money to buy stuff brought like over from nobody, Britain that was manufactured. And the, but this the, is stolen shit, so there's no overhead and they're going to just keep bringing it back again. And pirates would generally bring their stuff to Philadelphia, then New York, then Boston, then back down to New York again. And then their leftover stuff, they would hit Philadelphia again and try to sell their stuff. They're not going to shit where they eat generally in Philadelphia, but they're going to stay here, spend their money, like you said, Brittany, and sell cheap stuff and then go back down and pirate some more. Speaking of semen, what's everybody loves semen, right? <laughs> what's, what's the most awesome semen that there is? Edward Teach, right? What's his pirate name? Blackbeard. Blackbeard. Fucking Blackbeard would come to Philadelphia we, uh, and he would sell his stuff. No, Betsy it was Ross the back. <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah, Joseph yeah, Hughes. Yeah. I always think of the, you know, we never <laughs> think of it this way, but when a pirate comes to town, he's got merchandise. Yeah. He becomes Sam's Club, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. you can sell things that are relatively inexpensive. People, the average person, even the well-to-do, they get a better deal than they might normally, mm -hmm. and they're not asking any questions no. because why would you? Exactly. It doesn't help you. <laughs> and the, the listeners also have to be conscious of the fact that when we're talking about pirates, we're talking about colonial period. The colony of Pennsylvania is a totally different country than the colony of North Carolina, South Carolina. 
So it's not like it's all for one. It's well, not, they're sovereign states. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's not like, I don't mean to say different country, but I mean, it's not our... It's a different jurisdiction. Yeah, they're not robbing yeah, from people in Pennsylvania. They're robbing right, from, and they're doing it over So there. we don't care. So Blackbeard I mean, is the case in point because he had a warrant put out for him by Spotswood down in Virginia. Eventually, Governor Keith up here wouldn't put one out and then does eventually. But it's a governor. Spotswood was the governor that sent the pirate hunters after him to get him in the first place. He was living in the Carolinas and he had a letter of mark issued by the governor of the Carolinas and was knocking off shipping right off the coast of Virginia. So Governor Spotswood of Virginia hunted him down. He was the one that got him in North Carolina, attacked him in North Carolina where he was under protection of the governor there. And he would sell stuff to us that he would steal from Virginia. He was up here. I read from Blackbeard attacked and apparently captured about six or seven ships in 1717 and 1718, which is probably when the Lieutenant Governor William Keith was kind of like, all right, issuing a warrant for your arrest. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I fucking love Blackbeard too, because he's a ship's captain, right, too? And so he can marry people. So what do you do when you're Blackbeard? You just marry like everybody. He's like, I'm a ship's captain. I'm just going to, he married like fucking nine or 18 year olds, basically. He was just like, I don't care. I'm going to marry you all at once. He had 14 Oh, 14 wives? And when you're Blackbeard, you could do what you want. And you know what? When you guys are Blackbeard, you can marry 14 women too. Blackbeard was Blackbeard. He married 14 women. He just did whatever he wanted. And as a matter of fact, he had a girlfriend here right outside of Philadelphia in Marcus Hook, who was a Swedish widow and her name was Margaret Rambo. He didn't marry her, but her house is still there. Actually, they run like little Blackbeard events out of it. It's called the Plank House because it's built from ship planks, but it was so prevalent that after Governor Keith finally put a warrant out for his arrest, they actually looked for it. Archaeologists dug and looked for it because there was this urban legend that they had dug, a, he had his men dig a tunnel from the Delaware River up under her house because she was pretty close to the shoreline and that he would have them guard the entrance of the tunnel and he would go under and hang out with her. And they, it was so prevalent that they looked for it. They didn't find it. It was just urban legend. It was bullshit, but it's cool that he had a girlfriend here. On the topic of marriage, I had read that William Markham, Pennsylvania's deputy governor for a while, allegedly he received a bribe from the pirate John Avery, but he denied that. But on the other hand, he let his daughter marry him. So John Avery was the guy that knocked off. I think he got the biggest pirate load in all of history, if I'm not mistaken. He was only a pirate for like four months. I just have that he died in 1696. And he took down the Quidoc merchant, if I'm not mistaken. Like every single crew member got to be a, the equivalent of like a millionaire, like overnight. You have these pirates to kind of get into piracy a little bit. It was very democratic, actually. Whether you were black, white, Native American, it usually wound up being a mix. About a third of pirate crews wound up being African-American. You had an equal say because you were all—it was high risk, high reward— you all got to vote. You got to vote who the captain was. You got to vote who the quartermaster was. The quartermaster could veto what the captain said. And everybody had to have each other's backs. And it was like a true fraternity, brotherhood. They would kidnap people for their skills. And they weren't allowed to leave. But on board, one of the guys that they had kidnapped from Philadelphia, his name was John Bowman. They kidnapped him because he was a doctor. And they were like, well, we get shot up. We need a doctor. You know, they would kidnap navigators and people in the shipping industry. But Bowman, for one, clearly he didn't want to be on the pirate ship in the first place. So like you're kidnapped, you're not allowed to leave. It's Shanghai before Shanghai is a term. But he comes to realize that he's making a fortune because doctors didn't get paid actually that much money back then and that it was a true brotherhood and he appreciated it. Did I say Blackbeard? He got kidnapped onto Captain Kidd's ship. And so after Captain Kidd was executed, Bowman made his way back through Philadelphia and settled down in the area that, and it's a little bit of an urban legend that he buried a portion of Captain Kidd's treasure in Washington State Park at the area which bears his name for Bowman's Tower. Washington's Crossing. 
Washington's Crossing. Thank you. But it's interesting though because there's this whole legend that he fucking haunts there and shit, and God hates him. And you know, you were a good guy that was doing good and saving lives, and then you started to save people that were murderers and became one yourself. And he was buried at the top of the hill. The legend says, at least anyway, that he's buried at the top of this hill because it was as close as he was going to get to God <laughs> and to heaven. He was getting no closer than that. And God was like, "Yeah, no, fuck you." And he struck it with lightning. But we know that the area has been struck by lightning a bunch of times. We do know that the tower has been struck. But the legend is that God did it because he didn't like him, you know, because he sucks. <laughs> He's killing people. Awesome. Washington kept some of his troops there to overlook the British over in Jersey before his attack in Jersey. So there's a lot of Continental soldiers buried up at Bowman's Tower. Oh, and it was a massacre as well of revolutionary soldiers by Hessians. I oh. believe that they're buried there, right? And it's supposed to have scattered like the marker stones to show you where they're buried. Hmm. And Crybaby Bridge is there. Crybaby Bridge is supposed to be haunted. Really? These little haunted stories that we have, too, <laughs> in there as well. Now, it was all about black, though, right? Because you got Blackbeard, Black Sam, Black Sails, Blackbeard. <laughs> but they did paint their sails black, actually, with ox blood. It's like deep, dark red. It was for a practical reason. Like when you watch Pirates of the Caribbean, and there's a ship with black sails. Well, all those fucking ships had black sails because you want to hide from pirate hunters at nighttime. You don't want big, white fucking sails getting yeah. your position away. Plus, when you come at somebody, like in the open seas, you'll have the sun at your back. You try to do it when the sun's coming up or going down, and then you'll blend in with that red horizon, more of a sneak attack that way. So it's a real practical reason that they take like ox blood and put it all over their sails. It's weird too, like when you see pirate movies, like if Brittany and I were to walk onto a pirate ship right now, we would just all of a sudden be like, "Ah, matey, the, the code, you know, like we would just start talking pirate. That, I can see, I, I can see Brittany with a peg leg, <laughs> definitely. Peg leg and a parrot on her shoulder, definitely. She's got parrot flying all around, you know. Well, she has an iPad. Yeah. She has terrible little motherfuckers following around already, well, as we determined in the last episode. Don't we associate when we think of the pirate with a black flag? Mm -hmm. Well, that simply means no prisoners. It's a throwback to the Black Death plague flag, too, because you could die of the Black Plague in two to three days. You'd have entire ships of plague victims just floating around aimlessly. The last guy alive was supposed to hoist up a black flag to let you know, don't come on board you'll catch your death. The color black is, by its very nature, intimidating. If you see a ship with a black flag and they're telling you they're not taking prisoners, mm -hmm. I'm surrendering. <laughs> and you gotta um, figure, the plague kept continually breaking out, and the Great London Fire was 1666. The very last of the plagues that were huge happened the year before in London. Right. This would be fresh in people's memory, so it strikes fear into you, plus they're pirates, and the pirates would come up with their own sort of flag as well. Like oh, yeah. They would usually be sewn together by widows of sailors, but they would say, ah, generally I want this kind of thing. You know, they didn't all have Jolly Rogers or some of them just had a straight up black flag with nothing on it. But the skull and crossbones was the thing that they wound up doing symbolic of death. Give up because we don't want to actually sink your ship because it would sink all the shit on your ship. You know, they would shoot like chain and grape shot to try to disable the rigging and get on your ship and take everything on your ship. Sometimes your ship, if it was better than theirs. Well, you're never, you're never going to, and this is true with privateering in wartime, nobody ever attacks a warship willingly. You go after the merchantmen. You mm -hmm. go after the soft targets. It's not exactly like the pirates were going after tough ones. These are the guys who are going to surrender first. Yeah. It's not their merchandise. Take it, guys. Just let us go. <laughs> yeah, and it's almost like whatever you get on the ship, because when you look at the way pirates are dressed, too, like they have these big fucking plumes in their, you know, big boots of leather, you know, it's stuff that people don't usually wear, real flamboyant shit. 
because it was meant for rich people. It'd be like knocking off the Bank of America ship or Donald Trump's ship or Bill Gates's ship or something like that. And whatever, if you knocked off Donald Trump's ship, you might get a whole bunch of suits, knock off P. Diddy's, you know, or Flavor Flav's ship. You're going to get a whole bunch of clocks or something. I don't know. You Basically, <laughs> Benjamin Hornigold, like everybody kind of thinks of Benjamin Hornigold was the pirate captain who mentored Blackbeard in the first place. He dressed like that shit because he knocked off a ship that was meant for Portugal and carried clothes that were meant to be worn by the king of Portugal. That big red plume in his hat and those big tall leather boots that go over his knees and a big gaudy humongous cross of gold like almost like something the pope would wear he wore this shit because it was meant to be worn by a king and he was just like yeah i'm a pirate and they would dress their best <laughs> before they went into battle in case they died because then they'd be dressed for their funeral i mean it's i've always thought that one of the strangest ways when we think of colonial america we give it an order that it never had you know, we never think of Philadelphia as Dodge City. Mm -hmm. You know, the fun of Philadelphia in its earliest decades is it's Dodge City without a Marshall Dillon. Exactly. You know, and a lot of Miss Kitties, you know, all over the place. <laughs> and the pirates and the privateers. <laughs> I know I am. I am. <laughs> As I say, there is a case, there is a there channel right now. now on TV with old westerns, and I'm rediscovering my youth. It's the old guy station. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, if it's got any 1950s stuff, one of the things I was going to say is the reason we think pirates spoke the way they did is because John Newman in the 1950s played Blackbeard, and that's the way he spoke. And he was from Bristol, so he had an accent the way they spoke in the south of England. And we think generally like every single pirate just talks that way. No, nah, man, if they were from France, they speak like they're from France. If they were from yeah. Philly, they speak like they're Arr, from Philly. Wee, wee. Arr, Arr, wee, wee. Well, Bartholomew <laughs> Roberts is one of the most famous pirates, and he's well. Uh, didn't all he's speak. the one with the code. <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> he started the code, as a matter of fact. Sir Henry Morgan, Welsh. Uh, and he's not a pirate, actually. He would oh, be offended. Yeah. Captain Morgan would be offended if you <laughs> called him that Captain because Morgan, yeah. he was the governor of Jamaica and he worked for the crown and he had a fleet of like 10 ships. We should probably do an episode on Captain Morgan because he's a fucking badass. And he stereotypically died of liver failure from drinking a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of rum and he got fat at the end of his life and died of liver go. failure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so stereotypical. It's what happens Empire. when you go legit? It's better than Captain Kidd. <laughs> oh, they left his body, Captain Kidd, for a couple of months, right? Yeah. Oh, I, or even I, Blackbeard. Blackbeard. Yeah. I don't. Oh, they yeah. cut his fucking head off, right? His head, his arms, his legs, everything. Splayed well, it. When to Blackbeard show that he's was dead, you know, his head cut off. They put it on the bowsprit of the ship. Yeah. yeah. And they sailed him up and down the Atlantic coast to show yeah. people. Yeah. What's that? Oh, Maynard, Lieutenant Maynard was the guy who Ooh. was in charge of the fleet who got him and yeah. had cut his head off, brought it back so he could show Spotswood, the governor, his, here, I got, this is proof, here's his head. And I didn't want to bring his whole hope, body. The Queen Anne's Revenge. Or I just love revenge. that name. I love that. Yeah. But his head, too, is in a museum. Is it really? Down in North Carolina. It's probably not his fucking head, though, because, like, <laughs> legit- <laughs> <clears throat> well, pirates would do that shit. Yeah, they would yeah. give the mic to Tony. Tell us about the drinking bowls of, of skulls. Yes, they made they made a drinking bowl that it, I think it's covered with silver, but it's the base of it. You know, the round part is his skull, and it's in a museum. And I, I guess you said North Carolina, so we could drink out of Blackbeard's skull. skull, like we would do it. We yeah. would totally drink out of Blackbeard's skull. Oh yeah. How about if we made our own like a facsimile? Yeah, I mean <laughs> oh, Blackbeard's skull it. drinking cups. They definitely sell. We that. could sell them. I we would, were the grim. I, 
I would buy. I would definitely drink out of a skull. That sounds awesome. They definitely already have that. There's. I want to see Britney drink out of a skull. Britney would totally drink out of a skull. Are you kidding me? That's where the the drinking toast from Scandinavia skull comes from. It comes from. I love that shit. Oh. Everybody just got really excited, yeah. listeners in this room. I know you can't we physically see Ted Most. Thank you for clarifying really that for us. You've shed light on an otherwise dark topic <laughs> of drinking. I hate to change the mood. I hate to change the mood. But I had read or heard or who knows where we get this stuff sometimes that the ships like to come, the pirates like to come up here, leave their ships. First of all, it was R&R for them, you know, once they sold their goods. But we were fresh water and fresh water was very good for their wooden ships. The barnacles and, you know, all those little critters would slowly die away. So um, I don't know if that contributed to the fact that we have a big port, even though it's 90 miles (laughs) upriver. Well, since we're not on the ocean itself, that probably make a big difference. And not only that, they were the biggest city. So after they sold all their stuff, they're like, hey, we're living high on the hog for a little bit. Go to all the brothels on 2nd Street. Yeah. And that gave us, that's why we were a haven for pirates. But I mean, we were still... We were still, boomtown. We were still... We were growing. Yeah, we were still bigger. New York at this time was not even English, so... Yeah, they're off the... Yeah, but we're still, like, bigger than... The area we had was still bigger than any other area. And to Neil, to your point, with Black Bart, Bartholomew Roberts, one of the super important things is with him, he didn't... He was a teetotaler. He didn't allow his guys to drink out at sea. He was like, you need to be, like, a military. This is what we're doing, a military operation. And he was super successful. So when they came to port, yeah, go get your sex workers. Go drink. Go spend your money. Do as you please. But when you were out at sea, you're not to fight. You're not to drink on Sundays. There was a lights out time because he liked you to be up super early in the morning. I was going to say, that would be my luck. If I go back in time to be a pirate, I'd be stuck on that guy's boat. No, but you signed letters of agreement. Ship. Yeah. As long as you're you agreed to you it, you signed your name yeah. to articles of agreement. We have articles of agreement from his pirating exploits. And as a member of his crew, you signed. These are the rules. You agree. You put your name. You agree to follow these rules. There are certain compensation. If you lost an eye or a limb, like they would compensate you. There was like fucking workman's compensation, as a matter of fact. And some of the punishments were if you left your post, they would put you to death. That was one of the things because you're responsible for other people's lives and if people leave their posts if they're cowardice, you'll get somebody else killed so you die. And if you steal from the coffers, the public coffers, we cut your nose, the the tip of your nose off and the tips of your ears off and we strand you somewhere where you'll probably live but it'll totally fucking suck for you and we'll leave you with nothing but like one bullet in case you want to shoot yourself. Just in case. case. (laughs) But you agreed to be lashed for certain things but you partook in the booty though. Usually they would steal the ship so there's no overhead because it was somebody else's. Everybody got the same share. The captain and the quartermaster I believe that like two or three shares is how it worked. But well, everybody was so, equal. I mean, this as a genre, pirates were so egalitarian for their era that there were a couple of famous female pirates, Mary Bon I mean Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. Mm-hmm. I would think in an era that would not allow certain behaviors in polite society, the pirates were the true form of the adventurer, about as egalitarian as you can get. You had a river pirate, too, and she may be a conglomeration of about three different female pirates, but a river pirate up the, the East River in the Hudson in New York, Sadie Farrell, she may be a conglomeration of about three historical actual people, but she had sailed up the river, basically, and was like knocking off like farmhouses, and all the farmers 
farmers had to get together and be like, oh, fuck, there's these pirates. They stole a sloop and just, you know, it was a stolen ship, but they were like a gang, basically, and they stole a ship. And they were like, we can figure this shit out. And they just sailed up the river and would knock off farmhouses. And eventually the farmers had to all get together and force them off the ship. And then they just all went like back into New York City. Basically, where, where they came my from. My body lies over the ocean. My body lies over the ocean. I doubt it. Sing it, Tony. But I can tell you, in my youth, I did see Norman Island, which is Dead Man's Chest. So when you hear 15 men were in Dead Man's Chest, yo ho ho, and a bottle of rum. And also, listeners, we also did an episode in season one on Xing Shi Sao the first. Yes. So we did an episode. The Pirate Queen yes. of the South China Sea. The listeners can. She was a more badass pirate than every single one of those motherfuckers that we've been talking about <laughs> all put together. She commanded what? 40,000 people? <laughs> Literally. It was in. She was probably a transvestite. She was hot, actually. <laughs> she was not a transvestite. And she was absolutely gorgeous. She was in the 18. 50s, I want to say, but yeah, she a was bit later on. prior to the opium wars and she was a fucking knockout. There was photography and there's photographs of her, a couple of photographs, not very many, but she sat for a couple you of portraits. Do you have any in your bedroom? Well, it sounds like a good storyline for a movie. Yeah, <laughs> or a musical. <laughs> you would think. She gets a brief shout out, like a brief cameo, kind of like in the Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. One of the nine pirate lords or somebody representing her better probably describe description. So the, of course, the other side of all of this piracy are the people who are getting robbed? Getting robbed. <laughs> on Elfrith Sally, there were several sea captains who lived on the alley, in part because it's very close to the port. A lot of the houses were quite small, which isn't a problem if you're going to be gone for three quarters of the year. I have a list here. The two that were that lived on the alley or near the alley, I guess I should say, for the longest time were Daniel Rees and John Mees. But there were also some others that had fun names, like Oswald Eve is a good one. <laughs> a guy named William Callender, who was a Quaker, who was actually born in Barbados. Betos. He was a ship captain as well. But Mies and, and Rees, they have rhyming names, would be gone for most of the year. And if they came back during the part of the year where the port was not frozen, they would pretty much immediately depart again. They had different routes. Sometimes they, one of them went to Lisbon pretty often. Sometimes they would do a sort of triangular trade. They'd go to Lisbon and then they'd go to the Leeward Islands in the Caribbean and then back. But both of them actually ended up being captured by privateers. So in the 1740s, Philadelphia was under this threat of French and Spanish privateers because it was, what is it, the War of Spanish Succession, I think, mm -hmm. uh, 1740s. And they were like coming up the Delaware. In 1744, a French privateer captured four vessels from Philadelphia off the coast of Delaware. Neither of those were Mies or Rees. But one of them was pursued into, oh. the, into, the, into the mouth of the Delaware. And then later in 1746 and 1747, both of these men did end up getting their ships captured by privateer in the vicinity of Jamaica. And I don't remember, I think John Meese was just put into a longboat and <laughs> sent towards the shore with Daniel Rees. Privateers took him to Martinique and dropped him off there. And he had to find his way back to Philadelphia, which he did relatively quickly. The pace of travel by ship was somewhat slow, but also faster than we think. And there was just so many ships that you would just get on the next one. It wasn't like he lost his livelihood. It wasn't his ship. He was yeah. he was working for somebody else. <laughs> Both of these guys lived, at, technically they lived on Front Street. So they lived, the houses that they lived on would have been, would now be under I-95. 
All of these guys might have lived on Front Street. A guy named William Atkinson was a shipwright on the street, as did a, several sailmakers and those kinds of folks. One of the captains I had read that lived on Alfred Sally worked for Stephen Gerard yes. on a ship called the Recovery. So he would have been a privateer. Yeah. So so Stephen Gerard himself rented a house on the alley for about six months in 17, uh, 1780. And right around the time that he moved off the street, a guy named, it's, his name is spelled multiple ways. I'm going to try to guess at the pronunciation, Gear Chadwick, also Gaya Chatwick, <laughs> but somewhere in there, moved into a house basically right across the street from where Stephen Gerard had just been living and was immediately employed by him. So it's not clear whether they met because they were neighbors, but he was put in, in charge of a, a barge called the Recovery, sent off with a little fleet. Uh, there were three smaller ships. I think there were 20 men on the Recovery, and then there were like 16 on one of the ships, 12 on one of the ships, and eight on one of the ships. So that gives you a sense of sort of the size of this fleet. And their job was to go down the Delaware and harass Tory ships towards the end of the Revolutionary War. The real thing that they were looking for were ships that were carrying enslaved people who they could then, <coughs> and this is just the really heinous part of this, uh, take to Baltimore and sell so that they would make money and take money from Tories. In its sort of first voyage, Covery took, believe, at least four ships. One was a sloop carrying 400 bushels of corn and oats. One was a whaleboat, which had five enslaved people on it. That was the only, they were the only valuable cargo. A six-oared yawl, so basically a rowboat. And then finally, a small schooner with contents, quote, not worth sending to Philadelphia. So they didn't do that great. But at some point, they also ventured off from their, their mission at hand and attacked or stole from someone on land. I don't know the full story, but at some point, they actually captured 17 enslaved people from two plantations in Maryland, probably on land, and were taken to court. And eventually, like the, the court battle went on for a year and a half. Chadwick, Chadwick was sort of, he was allowed to go wherever he wanted, but one of Stephen Gerard's employees was essentially like arrested as bail for him. They tried to sell all of the barge, uh, the barge and all the other ships and, and couldn't find buyers for really long. It sounds like a real headache. It sounds like the whole thing probably just cost uh, Stephen Gerard quite a, quite a bit of cheddar. One of the places no I would, you know, it's the to-do list of colonial America for me is the Seaport Royal yeah. mm. in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. You know, a city that was devoted to... Pirates. <laughs> yeah, it's like Las Vegas. It's a pirate with, haven. Yeah. yeah, That's also the black sales. Yeah. The show black sales. I was going to say, does anybody have final remarks that they want to make on no, I'm good. the pirate I'm stuff? Good. Well, you know, the piracy in a lot of ways connects in a visceral way to something that we never think about when we do colonial America. The colonial Caribbean is colonial America. You know, like in a lot of ways, it's the revolution that gives it almost like the artificial construct. Prior to the revolution, the term American applied to the Caribbean as mm -hmm. well. If you were a Jamaican, you were an American. Yeah. The pirates, you know, in an interesting way, connect us. Mm -hmm. The citadel of piracy is Port Royal. And, you know, a place in Philadelphia, you know, like we're Dodge City, you know, mm -hmm. or some other place where younger people can understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, the sugar trade and the rum trade and, and right. enslavement of people in the Caribbean also connects us uh, to those yeah. to those colonies pretty intimately. One of the things I was reading about that struck me is that 
Apparently as early as, well, it seems early to us, but for then it was already kind of late because it was kind of after the big pirate, the golden age of piracy. But in 1729, Benjamin Franklin was writing down and kind of mildly complaining about Philadelphians going along the, the shore of the Delaware and basically looking for buried treasure from the pirates because, so it sounds like early to us, like 1729, but it was already well after kind of like the big pirate boon and everything. So, but they apparently a, a bunch of them would go out and try to dig up buried treasure. Not that Ben Franklin was like, all these people are going out there. They're taking their shovels and they spend hours just digging in the sand along the Delaware to see if they can find any treasure. Well, one of the treasures that was supposed to have been buried here or possibly in Margate, New Jersey, or possibly on Gardner's Island off of New York was William Kidd's treasure. And one of the treasures that was supposed to have been possibly buried here too was Blackbeard's treasure or possibly in North Carolina or possibly in the Caribbean right, there's a lot or of rumors. <laughs> possibly off the coast of Georgia, in Georgia as well, you know, everywhere where those pirates were. But if you look at Blackbeard though, one of the things that kind of connects pirates to like the old school Vikings, I mean, they're, they're fucking burglars on the water, basically. And they took a lot of inspiration from the early Vikings too, about like their badass practices. And one of the things with burying treasure, you don't really think about the fact that like a pirate has like a four year, maybe career expectancy. It's a dangerous job. So they would hide their treasure. It was like a 401k, you know, <laughs> basically they would bury treasure. And Blackbeard is supposed to have followed this Viking-ish kind of practice where they would like kill one of the younger Vikings and like bury them and their oh, ghosts. Oh, pirate tree, is that what that story? Well, it would be his dog. He had that big black oh. hellhound looking dog and he killed his dog and it's supposed to you know, turn it into a ghost. The ghost of the, this big oh, black dog. Because I read something similar to that and that like there was a rumor that he buried treasure and it was either Captain Kidd or Blackbeard. So again, it should already show you that this is more folklore and just kind of rumors, yeah, but yeah. either Kidd or Blackbeard buried treasure up in Burlington County under the, the pirate tree that's supposed <laughs> to be a really old tree <laughs> and that there was a Spaniard like who King's was like a Highway. local. I think is where it was. Something like that. And there's a Spaniard who apparently was like a local outlaw and like he was shot in the head with like an enchanted bullet by Blackbeard or Kid, depending on which version I guess you're hearing. And like they they put his corpse sitting erect so that he could protect the treasure even in death. And like that's, you know, the the story that they tell. So again, it's just probably an I want fucking enchanted that. bullets though. I, I want that. I want an enchanted bullet. I'm just telling you what I, one of the local. I think you get folklore. them at the enchanted tavern. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the enchanted ship. The pirate yeah. store. The enchanted cursed treasure. and Pirates.com. The enchanted <laughs> shot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a good story. All right. Do we have anything else to say about pirates? Blackbeard and the pirates of Philadelphia. I think we covered it. All right. Okay. We are your historians of dark intrigue and educational fuckery. Joe Woji, Brittany Smith, Ted Cisco, Neil Runk, Tony Levitt, and special guest today, Ted Moss from the Alfred Sally Museum. Right on well just basically it would have been on the water back then and connected to the docks and pirates and drinking so thank you my friends stay tuned for more grim educational fuckery we are <laughs> we are grim keep it beautiful and keep it grim
<laughs> the gift of grim, motherfucker, in the Yuletide season of family and giving this holiday season with the ones you love, sugar plum motherfuckers and chestnuts, have Santa Claus bring to every one of those beautiful motherfuckers who you love the gift of a grim Patreon. Do you know what the Christmas season gift of a grim podcast Patreon gives to a loved one? Your generous donation of a buck or two, 25 cents, a nickel helps keep the lights on up this motherfucker. It's the giving season. 12 or 25 cents not only will fill a motherfucker's heart full of joy and help us to bring more of this free content to you that we work so hard to bring, but we'll open all of our grim archived back episodes, a bunch of interviews from the United Kingdom that I've done. We're finding a hell of a time finding the time to edit because we've got to have these actual jobs that we do to keep the lights on. And your pennies and dimes can help find an editor for us for that and some very sporadic meet and greet, grab beers with us sort of thing with all of us from the show together with us, with you. Sometimes themed for Christmas, magic, voodoo, love, classic events from the past, and specialty Patreon first or Patreon exclusive themed events. Our first, we've never done it before sort of thing. We're going to dress a motherfucker up like Dolly and James Madison, the father of the Constitution, fourth president who fucking hated Ben Franklin, drinks with the Madisons for Christmas. If we can get it together, traditional Christmas wassail, a bunch of us from the show, Christmas founders, dress motherfuckers up like Dolly and James, make it a success and there will be more. We're looking at the month of January. Gift your support of the show to someone you love for Christmas and come and see us right after. We do put an incredible amount of time and resources into the show. Brittany and myself and Ted, cast of a dozen recurring professionals, master's degrees and PhDs, mostly none of whom gets paid a penny. Your generous donation of <laughs> any the fuck thing at all helps immensely. All bullshit aside does help. Like you can't imagine anything, a buck or three cents gift your support of the show to someone you love for Christmas. Any kind generosity of friendship towards the show, toward us, we cannot thank you enough for it.